All right, well, today is the last Bible study we will have in the book of Philippians. We will finish the book this morning. Uh, by the way, next week we'll move right into the book of Colossians as we make our way through the Pauline epistles. But in this last study that we'll have in the book of Philippians, I think it's something that, that really speaks to the core of who we are as Christians. I entitled the Bible study, Be the Blessing. And we'll be uh, reading between verses 10 and 23 of chapter 4. Author Liz, uh, I'm sorry, Lily Hardy Hammond said this. She said, you don't pay love back. You pay it forward. And, and in a real sense, that is what the Christian life is all about. Because the natural and godly response from us as recipients of the love of God is to love others. The principal motive for ministry at all is to respond to the infinite love that God has shown us. And we do this by loving others. This is what we're commanded to do. John 13 speaks of this, that, that because we love others because God first loved us. Paul wrote this in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interest of others. We need to understand that God's work in the world, God's blessing upon the world comes through the servants of God. Us heeding the call of God to be the blessing in the lives of others. And we have to understand that, look, God's, God's will, God's plan is going to happen with or without us. God's will is never thwarted. It's never confused. It's never stopped. But what, we, what he offers us is the privilege to be that special blessing in the life of another person, a person who's in need, a person who needs to hear the truth, a person who is suffering for lack. And here is the thing that is so unique about God using his church to accomplish his purpose on the earth. For the receiver of the blessing that is given by another human being is a moment of affirmation for them that indeed they can do all things and they can endure all things through, through Christ who, who, who strengthens them. And for the person who is giving, the, the giver, it is likewise an affirmation that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will supply all my need. And through me, he will supply the need of others. It's, this, it's, it's like a perpetual motion machine. Perpetual motion machine is actually a hypothetical thing because it doesn't exist. There is no, no kind of machine that has ever been invented that once it gets started can generate the energy that keeps it going. The laws of thermodynamics don't allow it. But in the case of blessing. And God's will being accomplished on the earth. It is just like that kind of perpetual motion machine. I bless you through the provision and the love that God's given me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to help you. And then you're receiving that. And it's like, wow, I was in need and the Lord provided for my need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so it's, it's this self-sustaining blessing machine that God has, has created. Now, Paul the Apostle was a giver of blessing. That was what he devoted his life to, was giving blessing to others. But as we come to the close of this letter, we see that Paul was also somebody who was in great need. Um, we, and, and in the course of 
what Paul describes, we see how the church in Philippi saw the need of Paul and blessed him. They were faithful to bless their spiritual founder uh, and they tracked him down and they blessed him with material things that he needed. And Paul is kind of, kind of using that as a platform from which he can speak to how, how it is such a blessing to be the blessing in another person's life. And so here's the outline we're going to work from. Uh, first of all, we're going to just bore in for a moment just by way of uh, setting a foundation of why our giving and our blessing of other people is central to our purpose as Christians. And then secondly, we're going to see how rendering a blessing to another affects the life of that person, that receiver of the blessing. Then we're going to flip it around and we're going to see how it affects the life of the giver when they give to another. And then finally, uh, Paul speaks to us about the tangible rewards that God offers in the life of those who render blessings in his name. And again, I count that as one of the greatest privileges of my Christian life, is that God has given me things that I can give back to him by blessing others. So stand with me, if you will. We're going to um, be reading between verses 10 and 23, and I think we'll just go ahead and read the whole passage right now, and then we'll take it apart as we go through the Bible study. So here's what it says. This is now Paul speaking. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last... Your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and all saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, we pray that the grace of Jesus Christ would be with us now, with all those in our church, not only those that are here, but those that are home ill. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. And we pray now that through that grace and mercy, Lord, we would receive the truth of this message. We would, see, we would receive what you have to tell us through your precious word this morning and through the power of your spirit, Lord. As your servant this morning to share these words, I pray, Lord, that everything that I would say would come directly from you, and that in this very Bible study, you would be honored and glorified. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I do want to take just a minute to speak to why we're here. What is our purpose as Christians? The Bible is very clear and uses a couple of metaphors to really bring home this idea of who we are in Christ. For example, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.5, 
that as we are to approach Christ in this way, you also, he's speaking to all of us, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He refers to us as part of a house, a building. And we know that a building uh, only has integrity because each piece of that building is in the proper place with the proper strength to uphold the whole plan and the whole purpose of that building. We see in other places, Paul the Apostle uses the metaphor of a human body all the time and how each one of us uh, is likened to a different part of the body and, and the body functions at its best when all of those parts work into concert with one another to affect the purpose of, of the body. And so these are the ways in which we are referred to. And when, when Peter, for example, talks about spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, uh, in several places in scripture, we are kind of given uh, direction as to where those, in what form those uh, spiritual sacrifices take. Uh, men, we're studying in Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 13, um, verse 5 uh, verse, I'm sorry, verses 15 and 16, we read this. Therefore, by him, that is by God, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so we're really being guided towards two things that are these spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. First of all, the praise of our lips. Now, why is that important? Why, it's because in praising God with our lips, we are acknowledging who he is. We are acknowledging the great and awesome, eternal, gracious, merciful, loving God. And we should, oh, we talked about this last week. All of our prayers really should start there that we praise God because he is the sole source of our provision. We can't count on the world. We can't count on government. We can't even count on family for all of the provision that we need. We count on God. Now, the provision of God, and this is one of the central themes of this message, the provision of God comes through his body, comes through his building, comes through you and me. And this is why um, in Hebrews we're told don't forget to do good and to share because you are an instrument in the hand of God. When somebody needs to be blessed with the provision of God, the one way that God has chosen to bring that blessing to that person in need is you and me. It's one of the things that is very central to our faith. And so we might ask ourselves, well, what then gets in the way of Christian people from giving these kind of sacrifices freely to God? And by the way, this is the way we should see it. If someone's in need and you're giving to them, you want to focus on them because obviously that's how you understood their need. But the way in which you think about the gift should be, I'm giving this to you, Lord. I'm, I am sacrificing to you. I'm taking what you've put in my hand that I might honor you. See, if we get too focused on the recipient of the gift that we're giving, we're set up for one of two things and they're both bad. <laughs> we could get profuse, we could receive the profusive thanks from them and get big heads and start to be self-righteous about our goodness, which is very much uh, rampant in the church and in the world. That's kind of human nature. 
Or the other thing that could happen is we don't get the big thank you. They really don't express any appreciation at all. In which case we're angry, we're miffed. I like that word miffed. There's a lot under that word miffed. We're miffed. And we're discouraged from giving again, especially to that one, that ungrateful so-and-so. Both of those two extreme attitudes are wrong. We give to the Lord that, that we might glorify him. And whether that person expresses any thanksgiving or not, it doesn't matter because it was for the Lord. So what gets in our way? Why don't people do this more? Well, first of all, and I'll just speak to Christians, okay? The world, we can all understand why they don't do it. They don't have the spirit of God in them. But often Christians fail in the opportunity to give to the person in need, to be the blessing to somebody. And I think it's, it comes down to at least two things. One is that they don't think they have the resources to do it. They, they don't believe they have the means. And the second reason is that they don't have a burden for the cause. They may look at somebody in need and they may dis be dismissive of the need. Oh, they don't really need that. Oh, well, you know, they probably deserve to be in that situation because of whatever they said or did. And so we don't have a burden for them. And if we do have a burden for them, it's like, boy, I'd really like to help, but I can't. I can't help. And both of those two reasons have the same tap root. That root of no, I can't help is failure to abide in Christ. Failure to be as the Apostle, or, yeah, the Apostle John quoted Jesus in his Gospel of John. They are not attached to the vine. John 15, 5, Jesus tells us very clearly. He's referring to himself. He's using a beautiful metaphor of a vine and branches. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Interesting how that particular statement, for without me, you can do nothing, is the diametric opposite of our text, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we're a branch and he's a vine, how many branches that are detached from the vine and laying on the ground do you see producing fruit? Uh, let me think. Zero. Zero. They, they eventually get dried up and, and, and blow away. And so this idea of abiding is, um, is important. Staying connected to the vine keeps us supplied enough for our own needs, but most especially, it, it, it supplies us to be the blessing to other folks. So, so Paul is being blessed here in our text. Uh, first thing we have to know about Paul, he's been in the business of blessing his entire Christian life. If you think about the sacrifices this man made, both in terms of the sacrifice of praise, how he would praise God even in the most dire circumstances, but also in the, in the giving that Paul gave. Paul blessed the churches that he helped to plant with spiritual blessings that were innumerable. And he was so concerned about his witness before those that he wanted to bless spiritually that for a great deal of his ministry, he would not put himself in a position to need to be blessed materially. Paul had a trade. He was a tent maker. And so Paul would not only uh, make tents and work on, in that craft 
in order to support himself, but he would use that to support the men that traveled with him to minister the gospel around the world. So Paul was a giver. But in the, in the point at which we enter his life here in the book of Philippians, and particularly in this last passage, he's in need. As we know, and as we've been talking about, Paul is incarcerated at this period in his life. He's in a Roman prison. And Roman prisons uh, were very different than prisons of our day in a lot of respects. But one of them is this. Hey, hey you go to prison in, in our day and time. Uh, it's not a great experience. I, I go there a lot. And, uh, you know, it's nice to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. But at least the men that go there and the women that go to prison in our day, they're provided clothing. They're provided warm shelter, not super comfortable, but it's warm and, and, it's, and it meets adequate needs. And they're provided three squares a day. They do get three meals a day. Again, you, you wouldn't want to, <laughs> hey, what do you want to do after church? Well, let's go to Caswell and have lunch. You wouldn't want to do that. Um, but they, they, their, needs, their basic needs are taken care of. That was not the case in a Roman prison. In a Roman prison, the accommodations, first of all, were filthy and uncomfortable. And second of all, the prisoner pretty much through their family or friends, they had to provide mostly for themselves. They'd probably get a subsistence level of, of some kind of food, but, but they really, for, for any kind of comfort, warmth, and, and better nutrition, they needed to rely on others. And, and Paul, in that situation, he's at total peace. He's not in a good situation, but he's not worried because he trusts the provision of his Lord. He trusts that, that God's sovereignty will care for him. See, see that he's there in verse 10 and 11 and 12. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but lacked opportunity. Now he, he qualifies, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be confident. Content, rather. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer in need. Paul is not worried because of something I mentioned last week that is the principal cause of worry. If you recall the Bible study from last week, which was all about worry, I think the title of it was Why Worry? Worry ar arises when we we see a disconnect between what we want and expect to happen and what we project is likely to happen. I mean, people worry about winning money if they're people who gamble because what they expect, what they envision is the, the prize comes to them and they're enriched. But when they work out the probabilities, they see there's a disconnect there. This is why they call the lottery a tax on people who are bad at math. Because if you really work through the odds, you have zero, I mean, zero chance of winning. And Paul, on the other hand, he, he did not worry in that way because his expectation was not what would happen, but who would make it happen. My expectation is that God will supply my need, which we'll see coming up in the Bible study. So there's no disconnect between his expectation and the projected reality because the projected reality is exactly what God deems is his portion in that moment and that's what Paul expected. No disconnect, no worry. 
And we have to understand that when we, as Christians, when we abound in good blessing, we tend to get departed, we, we tend to get detached from God. It's all going great, and uh, I'm probably the reason why. Yeah, it's amazing how we take our eyes off of God because things are going great. We knew we worked hard. We worked very hard. We prepared great. It went great. Glory to me. And when we are in want, in profound need, we can get angry with God. And we could say, God, why are you doing to, this to me? This is so unfair. This is why in Proverbs, you see a very interesting prayer. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. One of the most interesting prayers you find in all the Bible. Here's the prayer. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. You see how that works? If I'm full of stuff, I fail to give the sacrifice of praise to God. You notice why the writer of Hebrews put the sacrifice of praise before the sacrifice of giving stuff because we need to understand that the plenty that we're now able to share was provided by the provider of all things, Jesus Christ. And so we got to be mindful and worry, uh, mindful and careful that we don't profane God by failing to recognize his provision when we've got plenty. And equally, when we've got little, we shouldn't be blaming God because the portion that God gives us in any moment in time is all about what he sees as the best thing for us at that time. And this, this is why Paul speaks throughout this epistle repeatedly. He is expressing his total trust in his sovereign God. Philippians 1 verse 6, when we were there, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, the good work that God is trying to complete in you, not trying, will complete in you, some of that completing has to do with letting you experience need. Letting you experience deprivation, injustice, pain, suffering. God doesn't want any of us to suffer needlessly, but we live in a fallen world where bad things happen to good and bad people alike. And we know that God works all things together for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so the purpose of God being to complete the work he has started in you, why that work, God will take the deprivation and the hurt that is characteristic of the world and he will use it in your life to complete the work that he started in you. Paul's confident of that. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We always worry about the ultimate sanction, death. We do stupid things, we could die. We don't take care of our health, we could die. We're constantly worried about the ultimate sanction of living, which is dying. Our expectation is to keep living. The projected uh, outcome is going to be death eventually. So there's worry about that all the time. Not for Paul. Hey, while I'm living, I'm glorifying and magnifying Christ. When I'm dying, I'm going to meet him. All good. It's all good here. 
Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Hey, when that, when that moment of truth comes up and I have the opportunity to be the blessing to somebody else, I know that it will be God who works in me both to will, hey, I really want to help that person, and to do, hey, look at this provision God's given me. I'm going to share it with this person. You see how that works? Paul was just confident. So, so Paul being the recipient of the blessing that these people wanted to bring to him, notice what he proclaims there in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes he strengthens me by, being, by allowing me to be the recipient of his blessing through the hands of others who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I can do all things because I'm part of the body of Christ. Hey, if your hand needs blood, something's wrong with your hand and you need blood in that hand, the rest of the body's going to provide it. This is the way the body works. Now we flip it around and we look at the Philippian side of the equation. They're the givers in this instance. We know um, that, that the Philippians uh, in verses 15 and 16, we see there that, that they were blessing Paul throughout his ministry. Uh, he says there, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you, only you Philippian church, you shared with me in my need. For even in Thessalonica, a different city altogether, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. These people are blessing Paul on at least three occasions that he's mentioning here. They're blessing him. Why did they do it? No other church did. Well, I think we'd be safe in saying that they did it because they were abiding in Christ. They were connected to the vine. It would have been very easy for them to say, well, we have our own needs here. You know, things haven't been going so great here. We got people in this body who need help. Or they may just simply say, well, it'll be too hard to find Paul. He's, he's traveling. Uh, he never picks up when we call on his cell phone. Uh, no, I, he... It would be hard to find Paul. Uh, we have our own needs here. Uh, we need to save something for a rainy day. It's just hard. We can't. Those are all excuses, reasons, shall we say, that people continually give for not blessing another person in need. And, and I mean, not to say that sometimes there really is nothing else that you have to provide. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, there's no formula for this. It is a question of abiding and hearing from the Lord on it, okay? And so these individuals from, um, from Philippi, they must have been abiding. I want to just take you, uh, if you would, turn with me over to John 15, between verses 5 and 10. Because this is, we, we saw verse 5 already, but, but to just get a little bit more of what Jesus expands on in terms of being able to bear fruit, Christian fruit, by being connected to Jesus. He says there in verse 5 of uh, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this, my father, by this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see this, this chain that, that's being laid out here. The Father's love is reaped by Jesus' keeping of the Father's commands. The love of Jesus is reaped by us when we keep his commands. That keeping of commands, that staying close into the center of God's will is what nourishes us spiritually, provides for us spiritually, and allows us to do those things that honor and glorify Christ. And so this is, this is kind of a full circle of the blessing that I talked about at the outset of the, of the Bible study is that in the midst of what was most likely a difficult time for the Philippians, they nevertheless found themselves supplying the needs of this great apostle. And this is what it means to be a Christian, right? This is how you live the Christian life. There's no, there's no benefit or purpose to joining a golf club if you don't play golf. It's just a lot of people who are playing golf all the time and, and uh, that's what they want to talk about at the golf club and you find yourself kind of on the outside looking in, play, paying exorbitant fees to belong to that golf club. Well, uh, as Christians, if you want to participate in the Christian life, what that's all about is blessing others. At times we receive the blessings from others and at times we are givers of blessings to others. And, and it's interesting that, that Paul here is, as he's, as he's reflecting on how the, um, the Philippians blessed him, he seems more excited for them having done it than he was for himself and having received it. He says there in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He's reflecting on the fact that, wow, as, as your spiritual leader, as your spiritual mentor, and I'm trying to teach you the principles of abiding in Christ, I can now step back. I can see the things that you've done to bless my life. And I can rejoice. Because in your doing that, I see fruit in your life. And there's nothing more exciting as a Christian than to see God working through your life to bless other people. To see the smiles on their face. To see the relief on their face that God is looking after them. And this is why, you know, whenever you do have the opportunity to bless someone else, uh, you know, the natural response of those persons, people, would be thanksgiving, thankfulness. And they will direct that thanksgiving towards you. That's natural. And to a certain extent, appropriate. But never miss the opportunity to deflect and redirect that praise and thanksgiving to God. Let them know that it's the provision of God. I'm just here as his surrogate. And, and it was my great honor to be able to have some part in what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes, not sometimes, virtually all the time, whenever somebody is in, in extreme need and you provide for that need, the door is wide open to bring the gospel to them. For them to know that your motivation for being there and loving them is the love of God, the love that God brought into your life. What a great witnessing opportunity that is. That he could see that they, the Philippians, his people, that he planted that church in their midst, that they now have fruit to their account. 
They have been used by God and they have enjoyed the beauty of it. He says there in verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul here is using imagery that's right out of the Levitical law of the Old Testament. You know, when they would bring a sacrifice, which was typically an animal, and that animal would be prepared for sacrifice, and then as it was burning on the altar, frankly, folks, it was um, the same smell we smell when we barbecue outside on the back deck or whatever. It's the smell of cooking meat, basically. And we're created in God's image. We love that smell. Well, God does too. And so, you know, when God would, would receive a sacrifice from the altar, they would talk about it being a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord, that he would receive that and he would know that there lies the sacrifice of faithful people to honor their God. And Paul is likening what the Philippians did in that same manner. Here lies a sacrifice given by faithful servants of God who are abiding in me. And because they are abiding in me, they're blessed. And the person to whom they've directed uh, the, the giving is blessed. It's, it's a wonderful way that God works. Uh, we're pleasing to God when we, when we are abiding in his, the center of his will. Again, I give you the, the example of Daniel in the book of Daniel and how Daniel was blessed to receive that most important message, the 70 weeks prophecy. But he received that blessing because he was in the center of God's will. Angel Gabriel told him, look, your prayer was answered when you started it. You, you're, you're, most favored, you're most loved by God. And when we're, when we're in the center of God's will, we have a ringside seat to see God work and to have some small part in being the blessing. And, and Paul kind of caps this in verse 19 when he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is not a blessing or a promise given exclusively to Paul. This is a universal promise given to those who are in Christ. You may think that, well, if I, if I give of my substance to bless this person, I will be lacking. No, God shall supply all your need according to his riches. And God, everything is God's. And so you find that sometimes uh, the most generous people are people that you would look at their, their personal bank statement or their balance sheet and say, wow, they don't have all that much. But they trust in the provision of God that as they give, they receive. As they bless, they're blessed. Their needs are met. Now, I just want to say one thing before we close is that that verse 19 has been corrupted by some of the teaching of the greater church to mean that whatever you put before the Lord, he'll supply. His faithfulness not only extends to our needs, but also our greeds. And this is not what it says this idea of the prosperity gospel uh, being a, a, you know, a direction that we order heaven around by demanding what we want and receiving it, if only we have enough faith, this is wrong. That, that flips the motive for giving and receiving from blessing others and, and, and honoring God to providing for self and honoring self. 
And that's the cleverness of the enemy, to take something that, that is such an assurance to us that God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and flip that to somehow put me in the driver's seat telling God what he should give me. And so please don't go there. But this beautiful epistle ends again with, with a, a, an acknowledgement of the goodness of God. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially, get this, those who are of the household of Caesar. Now you want to know why God would allow Paul to be in prison in Caesar's environs? That the gospel would come to the seat of earthly power which is power directed by satan and the gospel light would come in through the most humble depraved and in need vessel you could find and god fills up that vessel and then splashes it through the household of caesar and those people were so grateful that they wanted they made sure they let paul know let those saints in philippi know that we greet them what a beautiful testimony of the power of the gospel the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and with you all. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your graciousness, your goodness, your deep and abiding love for all of us, Lord. It's your desire that none would perish, but all would come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray, Father, that all of what we are about as a church is directed at that. Your purpose your desire for this world, that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be the blessing to those who are in our midst and in need. May we be the blessing to those that live many, many, many miles from here. And yet, Lord, you've put things in our hands to bless people around the world. Thank you, God, for your, your, your generosity, Lord for your great care for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.